Coming up on today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, Matt Green, Bell University of North Georgia alumni, joins the program. We talk all things SEC East. Yeah, we do an SEC East deep dive based on what happened in 2022, uh, who ended up being overrated, who was underrated, the best player, most underrated player, um, best game. We talked about uh, all things um, SEC East. It was a lot of fun. So every team got uh, a lot of coverage here. But um, it was a really fun exercise, just kind of figuring out uh, which teams underachieved, things like that. And um, should these fan bases expect uh, what happened in 2022 to be the typical case for their team, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Florida, Tennessee, whoever. Um, All that and more coming up here on uh, Wednesday, the Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. So if you would, if you're an Apple podcast or Spotify listener and you haven't already done so, and you're listening to this right now from one of those apps, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple podcast or Spotify helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow. And then of course, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas podcast. You can watch us there like and subscribe, all that good stuff. And then, of course, if you have any email uh, college football questions you would like to shoot over our way, you can do so uh, that you want us to answer on the show or anything like that for me, Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Tuesday night. My good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, down there in Tequila, Georgia. Mac. good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It's good to be back. Talking ball as we do every week, sometimes uh, on a little on a, on a little different schedule here in the offseason. Mm-hmm. It's trying to find the right time. Like So weekends are getting uh, complicated, like for instance, this weekend. Uh, my wife and I were getting away to Asheville. We're going deep into like past Asheville, like a, a good cabin getaway from Saturday to Wednesday. So we're going to be out, out in the wilderness and uh, no pods for like a four to five day span here. Kind of recharge our batteries and uh, get away for a little bit. Uh, but you know all about that. You're wearing a Smokies t-shirt right now. You, you've you been, you're you're just kind of all in on tennessee these days i'm rubbing off on you that's right up in uh, gatlinburg Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was a good thing uh we didn't do it on sunday because you know we uh we had some some late afternoon early evening uh margaritas uh (laughs) the the missus and i and yeah we were out for like six hours i came home like i think got home like six and just Oh, I'll take a nap for a little bit, like out to like 11 o'clock. It's like, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, can't hang, you know, can't hang like you used to with the, like the youngsters. Did you go back to sleep? Like, how do you do that? If you go to bed at like 6 p.m. basically and you get like six hours, did you? I had to make ne- dinner. I, yeah, I like got up, ate something like, yeah, I probably watched TV for a little bit. Probably fell then like do you go back to sleep? So you're go Okay. I mean, you got it's like a work day the next yeah. day. So, I mean, yeah, you got to be. On as as on schedule as you can be. Mm-hmm. I've never been a napper. Uh, I grew up uh, refusing naps. Naps was never my deal. <laughs> my wife is an expert napper. It's just not not something I can do. Like I'll fight it to the end of times. Like I just it's not it, me. I don't get recharged by them. 
I'm in a worse mood if I take a nap because then I'm just like, that was a waste of time. I just burned an hour for nothing. I actually feel worse than how I felt earlier. Um, mm. Can't stand naps. Uh, I cannot it's stand. A state naps. of mind, you know, you're just not. You're not cut. You're not cut out for it. I'm really not. Um, I'm. I'm really not. Um, but also, you know, Tennessee basketball is still alive here in the Sweet 16. The Lady Balls in the Sweet 16. Um, just uh, you know, casual everything school things up here in Knoxville. But you know, we all can't be everything school HQ. Matt Green. Spring practice is here. The Dante pretty Thornton good at everything school. You gotta respect that. You know, it, it's it's a lot of respect to be pretty good at everything. I mean, I would. Some would like to be pretty good at everything. Some someone won championships and Final Fours and that sort of thing too. You know, so one day, one day Tennessee will be there. Very close. I think Tennessee's got a real, real shot at the Final Four. Um, which yeah, be, I mean, uh, the number one seed going down in your bracket. Number two as well. Uh, definitely makes it a little bit easier of a road. Tennessee's got to be the favorite to come out of that region right now, right after beating Duke. They are the betting favorite to come out to come out of the region. But then if they come out of the region, they get Bama. In the final four, which is oh, not going to go well. They're not beating Bama. They already beat them be once great. this year. Beating them Alabama, twice. Alabama, Tennessee. Year. That could potentially put Alabama and Tennessee in like one of the best rivalries in the country. If we got to see some classic final four game, like mm. football, basketball. I mean, like, this is the rivalry that like the the rest of the country didn't really know about. It was <laughs> like Alabama's just kind of dominated Tennessee for so long. Obviously, ba- I'm sure basketballs gone back and forth through the years but um but yeah it's uh that would be a, a pretty great matchup for sure so My fingers long crossed. shot bed of kentucky is already uh it's all it's already gone out the window so who knows that's why you take a long shot you know who knows what could happen that's fair um matt green we're gonna start a little bit of a off-season pack uh conference review series and we're not gonna do the whole conference at once for some of these mega schools because i just man that's a lot and i don't want to do these two and a half hour pods just going through all of them or not having the same energy for the beginning as i would for the end and that sort of thing so we're going to start obviously with the sec here and we're going to do the sec east first so uh our sec east revisited series is what we're gonna we're gonna call this the revisited series here and I thought we could start uh, so we like a lot of different questions that I've been thinking about of like how I want to organize the show in uh, a way that would be fun um, to kind of go back through this past year and uh, what we think of just where the East is, um, what ended up happening last year and uh, just kind of doing some some foreshadowing here uh, with spring practice underway for I think just about everybody um, as of this week. So uh, fun times, exciting times, and all that. And uh, yeah, we uh, we we can get right into it, Matt Green. Um, I want to start by asking you this question. Who overachieved last year in the SEC East, in your estimation? Who who overachieved, overachieved your expectations in 2022? Well, in terms of my expectations or just kind of, you know, just overachieved in general, I think... South Carolina is probably the easy answer here because the Tennessee and South uh, Clemson games in the season, it kind of, it kind of gave a different appearance on how good their season truly was. However, they did beat Tennessee and Clemson and those were two just massive wins for their program. So 
they did still do that. So it's like I, I have to give them credit. South Carolina winning eight games, it's not necessarily overachieving because it's like that's that feels like about their ceiling or so. I, I kind of look at Vanderbilt because you look at them and they went five and seven last year. It it almost feels like kind of South Carolina did in 2021. Like they kind of only the the good wins they had were more indictments on the teams that they that they beat, you know, like just for Kentucky to lose to Vanderbilt, for, for Florida to lose to Vanderbilt, it was it was definitely more on those teams than truly Vanderbilt being as good as a five-win team. Like you're five and seven at Vanderbilt, that's almost the ceiling. Like going to a bowl game is obviously the ceiling, but it's five and seven. I don't I don't even think they were that good last year. It's like those are their only two conference wins. So I feel like five and seven kind of makes you feel good. Like, oh, Clark Lee's definitely the guy. He can actually make us respectable or whatever. And they five and seven is is good for Vanderbilt, but I don't I don't I don't even truly think they were that good. I think it was just a really bad day uh, for Florida to to lose to someone like Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's actually my pick. Getting five and seven for Vandy last year, I think it's a huge win. I think they overachieved, especially with that talent and what that offense looked like most weeks. I think for them to even beat Kentucky and Florida in the same year and back to back is pretty bonkers. To be in a position to make a bowl game against Tennessee, where some folks were picking them to beat Tennessee uh, to make that bowl game because Tennessee was was <laughs> reeling after a South Carolina loss now uh that game ended up being 56 nothing so here's a here this is how weird vanderbilt's 2022 season was they crush hawaii 63 to 10 they beat elon they gave up 31 points to elon at home matt green they go 42 31 there they get crushed 45 points uh given up against wake at home they lose that one they go to northern illinois and just survive that one 38 28 they proceed to give up 55 points to bama 52 to Mississippi and 55 to Georgia. And I mean, just an unbelievable three week stretch where you were like, okay, well, season's over. Like this is, this is rough. This is like same old Vanderbilt. And then they barely lose to Mizzou. They lose by three points. They're right there against South Carolina. Like most teams would have crumbled, uh, giving up 150 points in conference over a three week span. They didn't crumble. Up until the other 55-point burger that Tennessee uh, laid on him at the end of the year. But I don't know. If you're a Vandy fan, this is about like exactly what you want, where you steal a couple SEC East games. You hopefully don't lose any of your non-conference games like like the Wake one, but that's uh, kind of turning into a little rivalry anyway. Like that's Most years should go back and forth or something like that. And then you're like 6-6, six 7-5, and six, seven and five, best case scenario. But... I don't know. I think if you're looking at like the best case scenario for what Clark Creek can build, I think last year was a really good example of what that could actually be. And he got there in year two. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because you Florida and everything, but I, I'm honestly surprised. I thought you would definitely say South Carolina was the, the most overachieving team. No, because South Carolina was bad for most of the year. And eight and four in the regular season is not really overachieving. Like based on what they want to be and what they they were talent wise. I mean, I don't think that's crazy. I was pretty down too on Kentucky going into the year. I didn't like the Rich Gangarello hire losing Cohen. I didn't trust Kentucky's offensive line. I thought they would be suspect. I thought they would take a step back. Um, but 
South Carolina is probably a good number two um, in that context. But I will also say Tennessee overachieved in 2022, Matt Green. Year two, still not where they want to be scholarship-wise. They didn't have a lot of talent on defense. The defense wasn't even close to being on the... They got to number one in the freaking country in year two under Josh Heupel. Like, when we talk about ahead of schedule... Yeah, but that was clearly a mistake. No, it wasn't a mistake because they were kicking the crap out of everyone they were playing. They had the best offense in college football when it was all said and done. And Hooker, if he doesn't get hurt in the South Carolina game, he's probably a Heisman finalist. They're going to have five guys go in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. We might get four uh, in the first round, four in the uh, top 45, no matter what. Like, you look across the board, like Heupel had so many guys that it just exploded for him this past year and to even be in the conversation at in like in Athens where it's like the game of the year for the dogs at, in the regular season yeah it didn't go your way but like this is year two like they don't have the dog they were running out of corners they were running out of safeties Matt Green they were the talent level on the defensive side of the ball is not anywhere close to where it needs to be. And I mean, there is so much talent in spring ball this week. Whoo! We got some linebackers, folks. Arian Carter, he's gonna be, <laughs> he's gonna be a dog. He's got that dog in him. And Evan Hobbs and some big transfers. Dante let's, stay, let's stay focused. Yeah, here sorry. Now. I just uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm blacking out here a little bit. But I think it's fair. I think you have to throw in Tennessee as a team that overachieved based on the talent they actually had in the building i think hypo maximized having a pretty bad defense and still getting to number one in the country at one point in the year still finishing as a top seven team in the country at this point in his program development that's an overachievement 11 wins no one had tennessee at 11 wins before the year no one their over under was like seven and a half see the the 10 win regular season though I don't feel like it's that surprising. It's because it was kind of, they're going to be really good. You look at what their schedule was. It's like LSU, yeah, that's a big time they crushed win. crushed LSU on the, road. on the road. I'm saying that's a big time yeah. win. But outside of that, you know, you probably assume, yeah, they. You beat lose, Alabama at home. They lose to Alabama, lose to Georgia, and go 10-2. Yeah. and two. That's probably what you expected. Like, as Not a me. Best case Not on this podcast, Matt fan. Green. Who said before the year that there was no doubt in my mind they were splitting <laughs> Georgia-Alabama? You I was, did say I, that. And you said they do something dumb like lose to South Carolina. I, did, do I all, not know the Tennessee Volunteers? You were all over that. So the yes. loss to South Carolina is what, it, is what makes it kind of hard to call it overachieving because it's like that's – that that was a and that's a game that puts you in the college ball playoff. Like if you win, mm-hmm. honestly. So I I think it's just it's it's hard to call it overachieving. I know what you're saying year two, but we've seen a lot of guys year two is when teams can you know compete for a national title. So you know I, I don't think it's uh, outrageous to think you know Tennessee from going where they are to you know number seven in the country was obviously a a a huge season. I just don't know if it's overachieving kind of makes it seem like it's not sustainable. Like it's like, you're not going to see this, the uh, like a continuous, like this is who they are going into 2023. Like that's how I feel more about Vanderbilt and South Carolina, where it's, it's like they overachieved because they're not really this good. And they're going to probably take a step back in 2023. Like Tennessee, you could apply the same logic to Tennessee and say that they truly did overachieve and they arrived 
like maybe a year before their, their recruiting and, and things like that were really ready. And maybe they go back to being an eight or nine win team next year, but doesn't necessarily mean Heifel isn't like a good coach or anything. Maybe they, maybe they truly did overachieve in, in 2022. Yeah. I think 24 is the year I've got circled is where they have the best chance of making Atlanta and getting over that hump. I think when you get a lot of these defensive guys from this 2023 class, that was super five-star, four-star defensive heavy. I think when you get more, like you get two cycles of those guys across the defensive line, across the secondary, across the linebacking core, and then with the talent they have out wide and the running back room being, and then just Nico being a sophomore and his upside, I think that's when you're like, all right, this is when all the pieces come together for another deep, CFP run I think this year is kind of a step back but I think it's less about like peak and what the program can be and like I think if the roster was stagnant and this was like that what he had last year I think was an overachievement but the roster is gonna be different this year um players come and go you like transfers recruiting like I think based on the personnel that Heupel had just in 2022 in 2022 alone, I think it was an overachievement to win 11 games with that group. And I think there are a lot of coaches in college football that would not have been able to get 11 wins and beat Alabama and beat Clemson um, and crush LSU on the road with the personnel that Josh Heupel had because of his scheme and because he's just a really good coach and Tennessee got a lot of buy-in across the board. I think they played above their heads based on their talent level. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Well, there you go. Look at that. Matt Green coming on board with the Tennessee overachievement. Who underachieved? Because I should never we're expect to actually be top 10. Like, that's just crazy. Uh, okay. You're just, not, you're just not there. Okay. Um, <laughs> you just had to go. You had to also, get that last one. Also, uh, mm-hmm. for, those, for those of you wondering, I know you were a really huge World Baseball Classic guy, Chase Thomas. Mm. Uh, Shohei Otani just, just closed it out. Mm. Struck out Mike Trout, actually, uh, to... Uh, his teammate closed out for Japan for the World Baseball Classic. So mm. can't be mad. Everyone they were the favorites coming in. Yeah, three two final score. There you go. What can you do? Um, Matt Green, who underachieved the most in the SEC East this year? Um, I feel like it's hard to say, right? Because Florida, it's year one of Billy Napier, but if this guy, Anthony Richardson, NFL scouts have been wrong before, but if this guy, Anthony Richardson really was this generational combination of Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, my eyes have just been lying to me the whole time. If this guy truly is that good and that talented, then it, it's kind of a, an indictment on your on your program to go six and seven with this guy a quarterback like did you not know how to use him like cam newton rushed for like 1400 yards is one year at, at auburn i think lamar jackson what, did he rush for like 1700 yards one year i'm not even sure like he had like three thousand plus yard seasons like mm. just doing ridiculous things in the running game like so if if Anthony Richardson is this true freak, like I mean he appears to be, we've seen his his flash plays, right? Like why wasn't this man? Why wasn't he putting up Nick Fitzgerald numbers? You know what I mean? Like why was he not just getting just ridden like in the running game? So I think if you look at Florida, you're you've got to think like, is our quarterback going to be better after losing a guy who's going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft? Like. Probably not. So was this guy actually propping us up 
for how bad we really were. Like, is that that is possible? Like, I don't think Anthony Richardson was great, but it's possible that the rest of the team was kind of keeping him down. And that that I mean, the offense wasn't terrible. They had a decent running game, but it was more on the defensive side of the ball. But I don't know if you look at Florida, like if that's the talent level you truly lost as like an NFL quarterback, like you'd have to say that's underachieving to go six and seven. That's fair. So it uh, is your one. Florida was my harsh. number two pick here. I think it's Kentucky for me. Kentucky, Kentucky has another second, top five yeah. quarterback here. Will Levis, but he's shown more. Anthony Richardson has started 13 total games now as a quarterback. He was completely green when he took over. Like, just there's all kinds of reasons. Like, they were super depleted the receiving game. Like, he really ran out of receivers towards the end of last year. Um, that, uh, like, just look, guys were in and out. They kind of had the season from hell. Year one for Billy Napier. A lot of new faces, new scheme, moving on from Dan Mullen. Like, hey, I'll give us some passes there. I'd, I'm not going to throw them in there for that. Kentucky, like, yes, you lost Liam Cohen. But you still had talent. You still had a bunch of talent, specifically on defense. You have a quarterback who we saw in 2021 could have been a Heisman type quarterback in 2022. I understand the offensive line was a huge problem. I watched a lot of Kentucky games. It was bad. They couldn't run the ball. Um, that was an issue. Stoops loves running the ball. Couldn't do that. They had uh, the superstar wide out um, and Brown, who was the lone bright spot on that offense week in, week out. But like, Green, they had a worse passing offense in Florida. They were 95th in the country in passing offense. Like that just can't happen with a quarterback like Will Levis. And you look at some of the losses and how their season went. You end it 21 nothing blanked by Iowa. Iowa? The Iowa we just yeah. saw, like that was a that's brutal. That's a brutal way to lose. Um, you barely squeak by at Mizzou. You lose to Vanderbilt at home. I don't care what kind of season from hell you're having. Kentucky's past losing to Vanderbilt at home. Like that is that can't happen. Tennessee murders you when you come into Knoxville 44 to 6. You lose to South Carolina at home. You barely beat Northern Illinois at home 31-23. I think all year long. I mean, you had the horrible mess ups in the old miss game I remember us talking about it the week after or the day after it was like what in the world kentucky blew yeah. that game they, they they yeah they blew that win and right there at the end yeah i think for me it's no question kentucky's the most underachieving 2022 team in the sec east i think um just everything went wrong but they should have been a lot better than than what they were there was no excuse my, for that kind of fall they off. were my second i think um i think you may have convinced me because mm. Not only did it, it's almost the exact same logic that applies to Florida. Like if you had this top 10 draft pick, apparently mm. at quarterback, you, and this guy looked bad, like in college, like if this guy's truly that good, then there's, it's probably an indictment on your offense for this guy looking bad. And, and you, mm. he was sacked like 45 times. Like you, you absolutely wasted a really good quarterback talent in, in, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Will, Will Levis. Levis. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe they're maybe it'll it'll be better for Devin Leary. Like, we'll see. I wanted to call him Devin Leary for a second. I was blanking. Um, so you know, we'll see what happens with that. But but yeah, the the old miss game, that's a good point. Cause I forgot that the way they just let that game get away from them. And then, you know, to lose to Vanderbilt is just never it's never acceptable. But that that goes for for Florida and Kentucky last year. But in the fact that it wasn't year one, like this is Mark Stoops, the most established coach. Is he the second 
uh, most tenured uh, to to Saban in the SEC. I want to say he's so got to be like, right. He's been there like a decade. So yeah. so yeah, I mean, I this, so. this isn't a this isn't a new thing. So with the SEC East being what it was, obviously it has hit, it had a second you know college football playoff contender this year. So the SEC East is probably the strongest it's been this year. You know than it's been in a, in five ten years. So to have that second elite program in the in the conference. So it wasn't completely up for grabs, but for Florida, you know, South Carolina, Missouri, there's no reason Kentucky shouldn't have been the third best team in the East with everything they had going on. So yeah, I, I can, um, I can definitely say Kentucky was a huge underachiever. The best game for you among SEC East teams in 2022 is what for you, Matt Green? Uh, the best game I would have to go with, uh, Georgia, Missouri. That's my pick. Actually, that was, uh, the, the, the champ was on the ropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia, Missouri led, they scored first in that game. They led basically until four minutes left in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, it was like a field goal contest there. Missouri's, uh, kicker was absolutely just balling what was he, like five for five in that game uh really really getting this showmanship on if i remember correctly but yeah georgia just couldn't seem to get in the end zone that was one of the games i feel like people worried about a lot like moving forward because of the the red zone offense from that game but i felt like the second half of this game i i want to say this was really the game that dejon edwards like became part of Georgia's offense. He had 11 Hmm. carries for 49 yards in this one. And he felt like to that point, I don't know if you remember like Kenny McIntosh, she was like uh, doing a lot in the receiving game, but he had like 30 rushing yards in like the first four or five games of the season or something. Most Hmm. of what he was doing was through the pass and Georgia just wasn't dominant uh, running the ball the first few weeks. I felt like the Missouri game, second half of the Missouri game, is really when Georgia finally kind of – they were a good running team from that point on in the season. And after all the field goals, like, throughout the game, like, they needed two touchdown drives at the end, and and Stetson uh, let them down the field. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, – that, that was a big-time game. It, it That Malachi Starks uh, chasing that dude down and tackling him at the one, like, that was one of the plays of the season because, like, that was like a 60-yard run that – uh stopped him at the one i think georgia ended up getting a field goal out of it so that was a that was a big time game georgia preserved the undefeated season i like that one for me i am gonna throw out florida tennessee florida tennessee was i'm glad i was there for that like there were doubts but because i've also got that dog in me i made it through it was a couple days after my wedding Uh, i got back from the honeymoon and they were like chase you're gonna do it and it's like ride or die i'll be there and here's the other caveat here. Had a broken foot. It was in a lot of pain. Guess who went to Neyland Stadium? Walked around. Oh, tailgated. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, Matt Green. With a broken freaking foot. That I still made it into uh, Neyland Stadium for Tennessee, Florida. I just... The best kind of SEC matchups are the ones where when you get to the stadium or like you get to campus... And you can just feel everyone's tense. Like everyone was tense around Neyland that day. Like everyone was like, they should win this game. But there was not like a Hypel has to win this game. But there was like a Hypel has to win this game. Like at home, because if he doesn't do it this year, we're not going to pick him to do it next year. 
at Florida, like those are always just, they never go well for Tennessee on the road in the swamp. So you're like, are you really going to start out 0 and 3 against, uh, against Florida here? And there was just, it was so tense coming in. And then you have the game where Tennessee's doing whatever they can uh, to get up big and they're playing okay. Anthony Richardson can't get sacked. Like we're all just apoplectic in the stands. Like uh, he's just, he's, he just can't bring him down. And of course, in, late in the second half, you know how it goes. Like Florida comes roaring back late and they have a chance to win. Like they have the ball um, with the opportunity within the onside the kick there. At the yes. End, they get they that back, back and you're like, Oh my God, like this is actually going to happen. This is, they're not going to get the monkey off their back here. And it doesn't happen. The miracle doesn't happen from Richardson and company uh, on the last play of the game. But like that one was one of those like, yeah, Bama was fun. But I think Florida is kind of forgotten among the 2022 season for Tennessee, because I think if they don't get over that hump, I don't know if Bama happens. I don't know if the rest of the season doesn't go the way that it went because you beat Florida early in the year and you're just like, all right, we can breathe. Like they they beat Florida at home like they were supposed to. And that hey, now we can we feel like we can actually hang with anybody. We can just move forward and we're we've turned the page uh, on that rivalry and we actually feel like we have the upper hand as the number two team in the East. I think that was sneaky, sneakily the best best SEC game of SEC East game of last year outside of Georgia Mizzou. Well, and you got to throw in Georgia Tennessee too because no, the, that game wasn't good. The actual atmosphere and the stakes, like mm-hmm. number one versus number three. I mean, literally number one versus number one because of mm-hmm. number one in the two different polls. Like that was like the biggest game I can honestly ever remember as a as a Georgia fan in Sanford Stadium specifically. Like that's the biggest kind of buildup I can remember to a game. Like it's up there with like the, the Notre Dame game was huge because of the novelty of Notre Dame coming to Athens. And it was a great game last time they played, but it was like number what number five versus number nine or something like that. Like Alabama, the blackout. I mean, Alabama, obviously um, the, the reigning game like that, Mm -hmm. that was a big game, but it was like, yeah, the rankings say this is a big game, but Georgia doesn't really know if they're even a good team right now in 2015, even though they were favored over Bama for some reason. But yeah, the blackout game was like a huge atmosphere, but the, the, the level of confidence that Georgia now has and Georgia fans now have, it's like, like you're talking about that nervousness. It's like, that's what Georgia fans have always been. This is like a game where you're going up against the number one team. You're like, I feel like we're better than them. You know, it's like that's Georgia fans are never really in that position. So it's like uh, it's it's a new time for Georgia fans. And and also the people talking about it, it not being that loud of a stadium, you know, that just kind of adding fuel to the fire. So the the national buildup to that game and college game day and everything, that was that was obviously just a massive game. And then it's remembered as being more of a blowout, obviously, but there's definitely some the 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 Jalen Carter play in the end zone and and like Vlad McConkey's first touchdown and even that that Setson Bennett t- rushing touchdown that that's probably one of his more iconic plays in his entire career and and throwing up the the phone gesture after it it's so that was that was just a massive game just for the actual like the the stakes of the actual game like the the Tennessee like that was 
Like, when was the last time an SEC East game? I mean, I guess the, the Dan Mullen and Kirby had some top 10 matchups, but like a true like top five matchup, like I I don't know. I don't think like Florida, if you go back to like Georgia, Florida, like 2012, where they both finished like top five. And I don't know if they were top five at the time that they played. I, th- I think Florida was number two, but. Um, Wait, where was Florida, Georgia in 2020? 2020, uh, Georgia had lost to Alabama uh, already at that point, and Florida was sitting on elite. They were had two losses that, or they had one loss at that point. Okay, because they lost to LSU and Alabama after. Wait, so they they may have had two losses, right? Because hmm. they they went eight and four that year. So they lost to Ole Miss. I want to say Ole Miss and A and M. I think Ole Miss was the opener because remember they started right. They uh, beat Ole Miss. Okay, that was the opener. I know Florida played Ole Miss to start off the season. I gotta pull up uh, Florida's schedule. They lost to A and M though. I remember that. That was at A and M because A and M went like ten and one or whatever. Yes. They definitely. Okay, so that was that was their only loss. Oh, and then they lost the bowl game. So yeah, mm-hmm. so they lost LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma. The end. So yeah, they only had one loss going into that Georgia game. Yeah, I think they were top. Seven so, top ten somewhere at that point in that game. That was a top ten matchup, two top ten teams. I'm I would say certain. it was two top ten. That was definitely yeah. wasn't two top five though. Okay. Um, but yeah, because I know back in 2012, I, I want to say Florida, that was Florida's only loss in 2012. And so I think I'm pretty sure they were number two going into that game. And Georgia's only loss. Georgia had just been blown out, I think, by South Carolina that year with Clowney that so I don't know if they were top. They were definitely top 10, but I don't know if they were top five at that point. So, yeah, I, we were trying to rack our brains, I think, last year when it happened. I think yeah, that was the I think that was the first time Georgia had ever hosted a, t- a number one team in the country, like as a top five team like uh, ever. So it was it was just massive stakes for sure. For sure. And a hell of a game. Hell of a rewatch game, too. Yeah, there you go. Um, Matt Green. By the way, Georgia was number five and Florida was number eight going into oh, 2020. See, there you go. I knew that was like a top two matchup. That felt that was a big that was a big one at yeah. the time. I remember. I think that would have been bigger too, and not 2020 with the COVID year and just fans and all that. That's, well, in that, 2019 and 2018 were both huge. Those were both top ten matchups for yeah. sure. So like that was. Well, it's kind of like the last ride, though, because Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, and that group, they felt like they could actually make the season. We didn't know it was the last ride. We thought Bowl was finally hitting his stride. No, I'm saying with the talent, like the guys who were going to the NFL draft, like losing Pitts, who was just unguardable, and losing Kyle Trask, who was turning into a really good player. I don't know. And Tony um, on the team as well. For sure. Uh, Matt Green, should these fans expect the 2023 result for their team most years, starting one through seven, Matt Green. We can run through this part quickly, but I'm going to ask you. Oh, yeah. If you want to tell everyone what everyone finished real quick, where they finished yes. their spot. Uh, do you have it in front of Hold on. Yeah, Wait. I have it in front of me. I got it now. So Georgia 15-0, and 0, Tennessee 11-2, and 2, South Carolina 8-5, and 5, Kentucky 7-6, and 6, Florida 6-7, and 7, Mizzou 6-7, and 7, Vanderbilt 5-7. and 7. And then conference-wise, Georgia 8-0, Tennessee six and two, uh, South Carolina four and four, Kentucky three and five, Florida three and five, Missouri three and five, and Vanderbilt two and six. So let's start with number one. Georgia fans, should they expect 
2023 type results every year. See, I wasn't thinking necessarily 2023 results every year. Like, I mean, Georgia fans are going to think they can go undefeated every year, right? They're going to be favored in most games every year, but that's outlandish to expect your team to go undefeated every Mm. single year. But in terms of expecting to be number one in the SEC East, Mm. we know things are going to happen and you can't do it every single year, but there's no reason why Georgia fans shouldn't expect to finish first in the SEC East every single year. Tennessee, should fans expect similar results that they had in 2022 every year from now on? Yeah, I think there's no reason to think Tennessee shouldn't be able to finish second in the SEC East. Like your team, like where you're at, like you're wanting to compete for the conference title. So obviously, I mean, shoot, this is like the last year we're going to do this, right? Like SEC East, who knows what we're going to, we're going to call it moving forward. But so I mean, there's no reason to think Tennessee shouldn't be right there. Like number two, like they they think they can be number one. So I think number two, like in your, in your off years where you don't, where you can't win the division. I think that's, I think that's reasonable for Tennessee. I've always said there's no reason Tennessee can't be Clemson. Like that's the, that's who you can be like Clemson, same kind of players. You can get the best of the best in North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, some Florida, some Georgia, and obviously locked down the state of Tennessee and maybe a couple in Alabama. That's doable. Kind of like what Clemson does where they cherry pick around the Southeast and a lot, cause you're in the middle of a lot of spots and you can do that. Tennessee has the money. They can beat Clemson. They also beat Clemson. So I think they're their most natural, like creme de la creme rival where it's like, no, if Clemson can be Clemson, Tennessee can be Tennessee. Um, Clemson does not have any more inherent advantages that Tennessee does not have. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Uh, South Carolina. The one thing is Clemson doesn't have to play in the SEC, so That's they true. can get their level of talent. Not yet. The the level of talent. I mean, you look at what some of Clemson's classes are. Like they're st- signing the best classes in the ACC, but they're signing the tenth, eleventh classes in the country sometimes, fifteenth. Like yeah, that I know not to be an SEC homer, but that wouldn't cut it if you're consistently the sixth, seventh, you know, highest ranked re- recruiting team in the SEC. Like that's. That's the kind of thing Dan Mullen got fired for, you know, like Mark Richt, like wasn't good enough for. So, and and not that Dan Mullen was even doing as well as Mark Richt, but the both of what those guys were doing, like Clemson was able to win ACC titles. Like Tennessee, they're going to have to do a little bit better than Clemson's recruiting, I think, to to win SEC titles consistently. South Carolina, Matt Green. I think, uh, I think third is a little much. I mm. think South Carolina, it almost feels like you're ceiling right now. Like, I know they mm. won the division in 2010, like, had back-to-back-to-back 11-win seasons. But that was Steve Spurrier, and that was mm-hmm. a long time ago. And I just – with that was before Clemson became a national powerhouse. That was before Georgia became a national powerhouse. And when those two teams are as good as they are – it's kind of like what Auburn is facing, what Tennessee is facing with, 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 I mean, I guess all those teams that were playing Georgia, but with going with Alabama and with, um, and with Clemson. So South Carolina, it's like, they, they should be thrilled with, with finishing third. Cause I'm not sure how many years they can, they can recreate that. So third, it's hard to say. It's like, it's, it shouldn't be their expectation. So, but I, I don't think that they're going to be finishing third most years. 
I like it. Um, but if you met a South Carolina fan on the street and he's like, hey, what are your expectations next year? I just want to finish third in the East. I'd be like, that's pretty reasonable. <laughs> like, that's, I think they think they can win the East next that's, year. Uh, I, don't, I don't think South Carolina fans truly think they can win the East next I, year. I do. You should hop on Twitter.com, Matt Green. Um, the people on Twitter are, are another story. Kentucky. In terms of win loss record, I think they can expect better. But I kind of interpreted what 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 you wrote uh, mm. in terms of finish as fourth in the East, and yeah. Kentucky finishing fourth in the East seems right on right on par. I'm sure they think they can they're better than that because they have been. They've had years. They've had nine win seasons, ten win seasons, but um, I think fourth in the East is it, it is pretty reasonable because most year like. Most years you do have, I mean, maybe not statistically, but it, it feels like at least kind of historically that you've had the, at least two really good teams in the SEC East, right? Like whether it was Tennessee and Florida at the top for years or Georgia and Florida at the top and maybe now Georgia and Tennessee at the top. Like you've had at least two good teams and Kentucky is never going to be one of those two that's like truly contending for a playoff spot or something. You know, they obviously started like 8-0 or whatever it was in 2021, but it's like, did we ever really take it that seriously? Like, it's it's still Kentucky, and it's like, they're like, yeah, the third, fourth best team in the SEC seems about right. Seven and six, they can do better than that, but, you know, fourth, that seems right. I think they can do better. I think Kentucky can be like a, somewhere in between second and third in most years. I think they've built a pretty solid foundation, and I think there is enough there where I'm like, I think Kentucky fans should expect to be like the, the See, tier two team. I feel like the only way they can be second or third is if Florida and Tennessee aren't taking care of business, honestly. Like Florida and Tennessee have to be just I don't doing think it has to be Tennessee. I think it just has to be Florida. But but to be second, I think it's a combination of both. Like they get yeah. to second, like it's I think it's Tennessee and Florida both not being as good as they. Well, should I mean, maybe not. I mean, just be second, but like the Tennessee game decides if you're second. Where you're like you're right there, and if you beat Tennessee, then, then no, you're... I hear you, and it, it's not unreasonable because they've been that, and they've yeah. they've they've had they've gone back and forth. That Florida Kentucky feels like the last five ten years has become like kind of a rivalry, even though maybe they've beaten them twice. I'm not even sure. They've beaten them like twice in like the last 35 years or something. But they've all been recent. And all the games recently have been close too. So that feels like it's been kind of a, a, a low-key rivalry. But it's like, even when they're playing with Florida, it's like, it feels like this is a bad Florida team that's allowing Kentucky to play with them. You know what I mean? It's like, it's because Florida isn't reaching where they should be for Kentucky to to get up to second or third. So I feel like fourth, it's like, yeah, that's probably about where they should be. That's fair. Um, Mizzou, Matt Green. Wait, you skipped Florida. Oh, I did. We've been talking about Florida. Okay, yeah, Florida. Florida yeah, down that low is like, you forget that they were down that low. Yeah, the original thing I wrote when you when I saw this question was, basically everyone was right except for uh, Florida and South Carolina probably just hmm. switch like Florida Florida shouldn't be kind of expecting to be third they really should be expecting to be you know at the top of the SEC East but with what's happened in recent years and kind of you know recalibrating expectations like third is the is the is the floor for someone like Florida like 
you're you're competing for the SEC East or you're you know right behind the the two good teams that year. It's it's they're just one of those. It's in our lifetime at least. Florida is just always a perennial contender. So to see them down at fifth in the SEC East. You know, I don't know that they're going to get out of it because, you know, this is year two. Is Billy Napier the guy? Like, we still don't know. We don't know what they have coming back in 2023. So um, I don't know that they should expect, uh, you know, being at the top in 2023, but they should definitely be expecting better than than fifth place in a, in a six and seven record. That's fair. But I will say, and you and I have talked about this in this show before, and I you removed the Spurrier and Urban Meyer years. They shouldn't be at the. You wouldn't expect them to be at the the tier two competing for SEC titles year in year out. By and no, large, no, that's true. Like they've been playing football for like 120 years, and mm-hmm. like 20 years of it is really is elite of elite. But there's a lot of other years that are, you know, there's a reason. You know, you look at those all time wins leaders. It's like Florida's down there at like 25 or so all time. Like they're, they don't necessarily have the longest history and there is a chance that they got two hall of fame coaches and they're never going to be able to match that ever again, that urban Meyer and Steve Spurrier truly will be the greatest coaches they ever have. Um, But that doesn't mean they can't, another guy can't win a national title or or they can't get back to at least, you know, we, we saw Dan Mullen, um, they had finished top 10 three years in a row. So like we've seen Florida at least recently, like Jim McElwain, you know, they go from not making a bowl game to winning the East two years in a row. It feels like a job that's been a quick fix every time they've hired a new guy. So that's why you got year two of Napier. It, it feels real important. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm also betting against it. I, I just, I, I think they're going to be close to where they were uh, this past year, maybe even worse. Um, not an easy schedule for sure. Mizzou, maybe the biggest wild card in 2023. I mean, they almost beat Georgia, but that's at home. And then they got to go back uh, to Athens this fall. I don't think it's going to go well for them there. Um, you don't just go into Como and, uh, you know, walk out with an easy victory. It's a you know, real tough place to play. No. Georgia's uh, had some great moments in the few in the few years of uh Missouri being in the conference. They've had some memorable moments at Missouri. They're a sneaky rival. Remember when Mizzou comes into the East and they immediately start winning the East and it's like, oh, this might be a Mizzou thing. And then it's like And no, there was the the, the Jarvis Jones game where he just absolutely took over the grown man football when uh was it Sheldon Richardson, I want to say Georgia plays like old man football and so uh, that was their first game in the SEC, too. So it was Georgia. So it was like, I feel like it was a big-time environment. The Jacob Eason to, to Isaiah McKenzie on fourth down at Missouri like was a big one. Like uh, even, even Nick Chubb's coming out party uh, mm. was against Missouri when, when Gurley got suspended. So, uh, yeah, there been some good moments at Missouri. And then obviously this past year. Six and seven. I think they're the easiest to forecast. I think this is absolutely where Missou fans <laughs> should expect them to be year in, year out. I think this is the most obvious one to me of the group. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. So you're you're better than Vanderbilt, 100%. Yeah. You're, way, you're honestly significantly better than Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. but that's not significant in the standings. You should expect about fifth or sixth place. Like, There's no reason they can't be better than South Carolina 
year in or like in some years. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, Missouri's had a tradition of being like a decent football program. So they've won the East more recently than than they always have a couple of five. Stars I guess almost there. anybody. Like uh, Luther Burden, I mean, Tennessee just got their best player in the state this past year, and Chin Davy and Bradley, the edge guy. But I mean, they talent comes out of there. Doriel Green Beckham, um, for whatever reason, there's always like a five star who comes out of uh, St. Louis or just Missouri as a whole, and you're like, okay, that's like keeping Mizzou afloat is like the the random five stars that uh, stay home. But yeah, it's like there's never that's not going to be enough you know no. just getting the the talent in in missouri like that that's cool we're locking but, down uh, our borders and it's like yeah, it's right. like yeah that's that's a good thing to do but you're mm. probably gonna have to get a lot of guys from from other places like texas and florida and things like that but uh but yeah i mean missouri you can expect better than sixth but not not like year they're never year winning out. the sec right like can we just I mean, go ahead what and say was that drew lock i mean they they were they, no, i'm saying winning the sec do they ever win the SEC in our lifetime? I mean, the odds are definitely getting stacked against them with Oklahoma <laughs> and Texas now joining the conference. But no, I would say it's uh, pretty unlikely that they ever win the SEC. But they have won the East. And I mean, they were what, top East five? East is going away, year? man. No, that's true. But I mean, they were they were good that year, regardless of what division they were in. I mean, they probably don't win the West. But uh, that was a weird year, 2013. You know, a, mm. lot, of, a lot of weird things happened. I, I guess they won it twice. They won 2013 and 2014. So yeah, I can't wait to see how they do this because it's going to be a train wreck. How they decide who makes the SEC title game? Like it's going to be a train wreck deciding how they do this when they break up the divisions. Like it's going to be so controversial that first year they do it because there's going to be so much infighting, and then there's going to be fan bases that are like, no, 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 keep us out. <laughs> like we think we're going to the playoff anyway. We don't care. Like I'm not playing the SEC title game. Like we're going to have uh, team sitting players. I'm 100% ready for this. Where teams who think that they're definitely in the playoff, they're like, yeah, no, he's not playing. Like, we're we're sitting this one out. We're we're taking an L on this one in the conference title game. I do think that we're going to see. That. I just I don't know about that. I mean, mm. we'll we'll see. But I think uh, like if you're Tennessee last year, and you play LSU, and you already beat them, and Hinden, like why why just I mean in a 12 team playoff situation. Like you're sitting Hendon Hooker and company. Because you want the SEC and get a first, get a buy. Like that's a that's a pretty mm. huge. You get a top four seed. That's a that's a big deal. Competition, sir. <laughs> we don't need these guys. Don't just need a lot of reasons to play and stuff. Like just the actual competition. Like dudes live for that. Like it's you're not just gonna like not value winning the the Southeastern Conference. Like it's always gonna be a big deal uh vanderbilt last one here matt green absolutely they this should is be the, should this finish is absolute, seventh but, in the east every single year and if they don't it's a, it's a home run i think last year was a home run for them you get to see florida and kentucky go down to you like that's a great great year for vandy uh getting both of those you're usually hoping only for one um i think that's about right um ruin a couple team seasons yeah it's basically as good as you can ask for <laughs> for sure uh, most underrated. And why, and why are you going around scheduling Kansas State? What are you doing? You're never gonna. Oh shoot, that was Missouri. I was looking mm. at the wrong schedule. Who did Vanderbilt play at a conference? They got Hawaii again. I know that. I think they uh, they played somebody. One a Power Five school at a conference. I'm, I'm do they have that. Wake Forest again? Oh, they did play Wake Forest. Yeah, they do play them again in 2023. Mm. 
Um, so that's who they lost to. Oh, they go to UNLV. Wake. This conference schedule, non-conference, is pretty soft. Hawaii. Yeah, home. they got Hawaii, Elon, Alabama, and They get one more automatic dub on that schedule, and uh, those two conference wins are putting them bowling. So, mm. you know, well, here's a, the problem. Bad call. Although North, I love Wake Forest and Vanderbilt playing. So don't don't get me don't get it twisted. Here's the problem. I think they're losing six straight to end the season. At Florida, Georgia at home. At Ole Miss, Auburn at home, at South Carolina, at Tennessee. I mean, I basically expect them to lose every every conference game they ever play, so I, I won't I won't be surprised. The most underrated player in the SEC East in 2023 was who for you, Matt Green? Um, I got to go with a homer pick here. I got to go Kenny McIntosh. Hmm. I uh, third player in the history of the SEC to have. 800 rushing yards, 500 receiving yards, and 10-plus touchdowns in one season, uh, along with Dexter McCluster and uh, Percy Harvin. So Hmm. this guy was just – I feel like because of the way Georgia kind of blew out teams and, you know, spread the ball around, I feel like he kind of got lost of how just dynamic he was as an individual player because I think he's – I think he's probably the best Georgia running back individually since probably DeAndre Swift. Like I think he's better than Zamir White or James Cook, and I he's just a, a really dynamic running back. So I, I got to go Kenny McIntosh because he did he didn't get the first team, second team type love, but I wouldn't be surprised if this guy like turns into like a good NFL running back. Okay, I don't hate that. I'm gonna go Barry and Brown. I think Barry and Brown, um, 50 receptions, 628 uh, yards, four TDs, dangerous returning kicks. It was just always a big play threat, and he was just a sneaky glue guy to keeping Kentucky, whatever they had going, going. Like He was the only one that scared you on that Kentucky team all season long, and he was Will Levis's only real consistent target that he could count on to keep their season afloat. Barry and Brown was a really good player, and he was just, uh, dangerous in special teams, dangerous, deep. I don't know. Aaron Brown each week was like the sneaky guy on your scouting report where I'm like, I think this guy's really awesome. And if he was in a better situation in 2022, people would be like, oh, this, we got to find a Barry and Brown on our team. Like you can never have enough of those kind of guys. Also, I'm just going to say it. You're going to say this is crazy. Mm. It's so much hype. Somehow Brock Bowers is still the uh, I just, that's he just I'm not, This guy that's is just not an happening. Absurd. We're not doing that. The He's most underrated player, Macron. You're it's doing still, this. It's still not. You're doing this. Credit, but it's still like it's still not even oh my realized God. how how truly special he is. When does Brock Bowers get get start to get talk of like greatest college football player of all time? Oh my God! If Georgia wins a third national championship and this guy is in college for three years and he's like maybe the best player on a team that wins three straight Natties. You gotta start to put have like a legacy conversation, right? Like dead serious. Not saying he is that, but hypothetically, if Georgia does do that, what what, what do you say? I've hijacked this conversation, but this is a. I want to know your thoughts. No, he's a tight end. What are we talking about? You can't be one of the greatest players in college football history as a tight no, end. No, you can't. You don't impact the game enough. No, can't do it. No. How do you? I don't know how how you can say that. He hasn't even been the most impactful player on Georgia the last two years. Who's? I think he's been Georgia's best player each of the last. No, Jalen Carter was a better player than him this past year. He's the best player on Georgia's offense each of the last two years, and he only plays offense. 
So I think Stetson Bennett was more valuable this year than Brock Bowers. I mean, he's a quarterback, so like that you could make the argument. But Brock Bowers, if they if they win a third national, Lad McConkey maybe in some ways. No, not no chance, man. <laughs> Brock Bowers, he was the leading receiver for one, and he also like people forget what. Why he did am I entertaining this? Game. People forget what he did dog, in the running. Can you game. wake up for this? I, I just but Matt I'm Green's saying, lost it. Real talk. If if they win a third national championship, like what do, what is what are we doing here in the sport in sports? I mean, We're then it's just win. like Kirby's really mastered the sport. We're it's not Brock Bowers was extremely underrated and is the guy. What are we? What except for Brock Bowers? Well, I mean, the underrated thing. I was that was Tennessee just took him out of the game. He was a non-factor in the Tennessee game. No, he we had, didn't need him. We didn't need oh, him. Oh, here beat we go. Tennessee. We, he gets we to pick and choose. He picks and chooses when they need Brock Bowers. I mean, if you if your team wins in a blowout, it doesn't really matter oh if, if you take someone away. Like oh clearly, they the, the other guys were enough to get the job done. Oh you God. can't really. They didn't do anything to shut down Georgia's offense in mm-hmm. any way. Is all I'm saying. Like they Georgia's offense moved the ball a good amount in that game. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, as a separate conversation, if Georgia wins a third straight national championship, it would be with a new quarterback, mm-hmm. like. Probably a different leading rusher all three of those years. Like, you know, some of the same, obviously, inter- uh, overlap on the offensive line. But Brock These are Bowers, all testaments to Kirby, not Brock Bowers. No, no, no. But I'm saying Brock Bowers is the one constant. Like, he's he's part of that every time if they do win a third straight national championship. The conversation has to be had. Like Kendall guys, Milton's also been a part of all of it. But he was never, unless, obviously... This year he could be one of the better players, mm. but he wasn't even one of the best players on the on either of the last two championship teams. He was a, a contributor by by no means disrespect to Kendall Milton, but he wasn't. Was he the second leading rusher? I'm not even. Mm. I'm not even sure. I'm not looking at Georgia's stats. I feel it's probably Robinson was there or Edwards. I would guess Edwards. Dejon Edwards. Is yeah, I would say Edwards was probably the second leading rusher too behind uh, behind McIntosh. So that's what I'm saying. Like Br- Matt Bowers will have been the leading receiver most likely for a third straight season, and I think a lot of it depends on what he does. If he has a statistical jump, like what he's done the first two years is good. It's not going to be enough to be in the Heisman other than he's got the reputation of just being a really good player. And that's part of the Heisman campaign. So if he has a year of like double digit touchdowns and like, you know, 60, 70 catches or something like that, maybe a thousand yards receiving, I a hundred percent think he'll be a Heisman finalist. Like, I, I don't think it matters that he's a tight end. Like this Travis Kelsey's a tight end. Like you've never seen a tight end play like that before. So the, the tight, like Kyle Pitts honestly should have been a Heisman finalist that year i think he was the best player on florida's team so i don't i don't think being a tight end like excludes you from any greatest of all time conversations i will say he looks like someone from south georgia and this man is from california it always kind of blows my mind just looking at and hearing him talk i just brock bowers there's nothing california about brock bowers even as a name that's like just a south georgia like a colquitt county tight end name brock bowers yeah, I could. Uh, he definitely doesn't seem um, like JT Daniels had that cool California yeah. kind of attitude. He definitely seems more no no disrespect to Brock Bowers, but he definitely seems like the more like meathead jock kind of persona. Yeah. Like he's just like I, I run, I catch ball, like I <laughs> more I of a grunt guy. I play football, like I don't know, like you try to get a 
an answer from him. He's like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm just, you know, doing my thing. Most overrated player in 2023 in the SEC East was who? Matt Green. So this is an interesting one. The easy answer is to say Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. But if you're an SEC football fan, you'd never overrated them. You never thought that they were any good. It's mm. only the NFL people that think that they're good. So there was never a time in college where either of those guys was overrated. This is going to be a hot take here, sir. I'm going to go Jalen Hyatt. Only because I don't think Jalen Hyatt is just far and away the best receiver in the SEC, like his numbers and accolades would suggest. Like I think uh-huh. Cedric... I think Cedric Tillman will be a better receiver in the NFL. I just think he's like a um, a more just physically gifted wide receiver. So I just – I don't think Jalen Hyatt is truly like the Bolitnikoff, like that elite of elite player. I think he was like – The five touchdowns against Alabama product, wasn't enough for you? System. Like I don't want to – you know, I don't want to disrespect everything he accomplished. And I, I will say, I was racking my brain for overrated. It was hard for me to necessarily come up with someone I truly found overrated. So if I had to pick someone, I, I don't necessarily think Jalen Hyatt is that overrated. But if I had to pick someone, I, I don't think he's truly as good as as kind of the accolades and, and things he got in 2022. 67 catches, 15 TDs. He averaged almost 20 yards a catch. No, I know what the numbers. The numbers are are fantastic, but we know we know Josh Heupel in his system as well. So it's like, you know, there's this conversation to be had about everyone that's coming through Tennessee. Is Hendon Hooker uh, a baller? Is he a product of the system? It's like it's a little bit of both. Like it, I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure it's a little bit of both. But Jalen Hyatt, he just doesn't seem like that true guy. That's like a special talent. That's going to be, you know, a baller at the at the next level. Like you look at the guys who are winning Bolitnikovs. Like I don't know that the list off the top of my head, but typically those are the elite of the elite that you know become, you know, first round picks and in, in NFL studs. So it is going to be a first round pick. I'm I'm just hey, this is my opinion. You know, this is my guy for who's your guy for overrated. Spencer Rattler. I don't think we know Hyatt is going to be a first-round pick. I don't think that's a guarantee. I think it is a guarantee based on – I haven't seen a mock with Jalen Hyatt not in the first round lately. We'll see. You know those mocks are always so uh, so dependable. I think Spencer Rattler was the most uh, overrated player coming in 2023. Oh, uh, you think so? 18 TDs total, 12 picks. He needed every last bit of those last two games to avoid – just a really disastrous 2022 season. He came in 2021. Remember, he completed 74% of his passes in 2021. Um, he got benched, obviously, but the yards per attempt was about the same, 7.6, 7.9. He only completed 66% of his passes. He had some bad losses in there. You lo- you get crushed at Florida. One of the worst offensive showings, 5.6 yards per attempt, 145 yards total. I mean, he had some stinkers, barely beaten Vanderbilt on the road. Like, yes, they blew out, dropped 63 uh, on Tennessee. He had eight TDs in his final two games uh, in the regular season, Matt Green, that he had 10 TDs and 12 picks coming into that last two weeks. His QBR was 65th in the country. 65th. He's just, 
he was overrated where people were like, oh, he's coming in from Oklahoma. Sure, he got benched, but look, Caleb Williams, he won the Heisman this year. It's like he got it's not like he got benched for um I don't know, just insert like uh Nick Fitzgerald or something. Like that's not not what happened there. They were like, okay, he's they're both great. He just can't you can't have two quarterbacks in the field with the narrative, right? It's just like they're getting a five star Heisman type quarterback in South Carolina, and that's the difference maker. He was not even close to being a Heisman type quarterback at South Carolina. He is not sniffing a first round mock. There's a reason he's back at South Carolina this year. I think Spencer Rattler is okay. He's better than what South Carolina has had for the majority of our lifetime. Like the best versions of Spencer Rattler, still a really good player, but the consistency is not there. It's never been there. I don't see a star there. I just, I don't think he's that guy. I, I think that he was good down the stretch, but the majority of 2022, he was a below average SEC quarterback. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would, I would struggle to call him overrated because I don't know how many people think he's good. I think you know a lot of people I mean? remember coming into last year was he was, he was rated coming in the last of, year. I'll agree with you. Look at the list last year. If you go back through last summer, it's like best quarterback in the SEC coming into last year. Like he was number one on a lot of lists. Like Spencer Rattler at South Carolina was number one on a lot of people's lists. Uh, going into the year, I will agree with you That's that what he I'm was saying, definitely yeah. overrated. But but yeah, after the year, it's I think he's probably more properly rated just because most people think he's kind of garbage. <laughs> like and then he's like, I think he's I don't know. He's shown some signs like the Tennessee and the Clemson game. But it, other than that, it's it's been a lot of bad performances like that. That Florida game, like we just completely forget the Florida game where they were just absolutely just obliterated from day from the first minute of the game. Um, after, after those those final two wins over Tennessee and Clemson. So, yeah, I, I'm with you that I definitely don't don't expect like anything really better than what he's been so far it's like he's at what point do we stop calling guys five stars it's like we called Stetson Bennett a walk-on for like five years it's like okay he was also on scholarship for like four years you know what I mean like at some point you're you're no longer a five-star like Brenton Cox was a five-star the guy stayed in college for like six years because he shouldn't have been a five-star you know like it's at some point, the what you thought a guy was coming out of high school just isn't really that important. JT Daniels, yeah, he was a five-star, but I think we can all agree that guy is not a five-star. That's why he's going to be playing football at Rice next year while Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are in like their third year in the NFL. It's like the, the, they were the other five-stars in that class. So, you know, at some point, Spencer Rattler is just a, a, a college quarterback, and he's, and he's kind of an average one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, final question for you here. Uh, this has been fun. I like this. Uh, and we'll do the West next week uh, on the pod. This is fun. Um, the most difficult spot for this coach to be in entering 2023 based on what happened in 2022 is who for you, Matt Green? Um, I want to hear your answer first on this one and see and see where you go with it. So let me, let me bounce my answer off of you. So you go first. I think it's Shane Beamer because I think folks remember so much how you finish and there was so much optimism and so much hype 
you beat Clemson, you beat Tennessee and end their CFP opportunity. Like there's a lot of, we turn the corner hype around South Carolina right now. And I just, you, they have the number one most difficult schedule in college football coming into 2023. They have to come back to Tennessee this year. I think they go to Georgia, right? Um, that that game's in Athens this year, yeah. I believe. Like you go through that schedule, they're not beating Clemson back to back years. I just think they're due for a major regression, and that bump we saw at the end of last year is not indicative of what's going to happen with South Carolina. Lost some big impact players, both in the defensive line, out wide. I'm pretty dubious about where South Carolina goes in 2023. So I think. Beamer, like he he shut up a lot of doubters by winning those two important games down the stretch of like we're like this is huge for us and we can play with the big dogs. But it's also like I I don't think next year is going to be good. So I think because there was so much optimism, he's going to be looked at in a way or in South Carolina is going to be looked at in a way where they're going to be a trendy offseason. Ooh, could Spencer Rattler's back. Could they really challenge Tennessee and Kentucky and Florida for that number two spot in the East? Like there's a lot of folks who like no one's putting them with Georgia. No one's doing that for anybody in the East right now. But I think that is something where it's like, oh, they should be able to do that. And I think there's a very strong possibility. South Carolina loses to not only Tennessee, which is a guarantee in Knoxville in the sun uh, or in, in September, but also Florida and uh, Kentucky. Like, that would not surprise me either. And then Clemson, obviously. So, I don't know. I, I think South Carolina and Shane Beamer is my pick here. See, I think um, the only reason I kind of I'll, – I'll disagree with that in a way is because I think fans can be illogical, but they're not just downright dumb. And I think people know that they're, they're the number one toughest schedule in college football, and I think that's built in – like to the expectations. And mm. it's like, I feel like when you want to fire a coach, it's like, it's like a, it's not a results, a win loss record thing. It's like, it's like how you feel, you know what I mean? And it's like, this team could go seven and five. And as a South Carolina, you'd have so many of those toss up games that you actually won mm. that you'd actually feel pretty good by the end of it. And you, you wouldn't be like, Oh, we went seven and five. We went eight and five last year. So this is bad. This is a worse year. You know, it'd be like, wow, you know, we kind of, we lost what we did in the portal and we had a ridiculously tough schedule and we, and we did what we did. So I don't know if Beamer's under the, the worst, under like in the worst position, just because I think there is some, some logic being used by the fans in Columbia, even if we can all be like irrational you know, illogical sports fans from time to time. I think there is some leeway that you start with North, like the first six games. It's like North Carolina game one at Georgia, Mississippi State at Tennessee, Florida. Like you're going to know what kind of season it is from the jump. So it's also like you have that year where you start two and four and you end and you end up seven and six or something. And you're like, oh, you know, that was actually, we could have given up on the season and you know the guys you know rallied together and got good wins down the stretch or or something like that that you can kind of spin as a fan so shane beamer i understand what you're saying um and it's going to be hard to to match what they did in 2023 
Um, but I don't – or in 20 – yeah, it's what they did last year, but I don't know that they necessarily have to. I think – So who's your pick here? I think the most difficult – I think Napier is the easy answer because of hmm. Florida just feels like kind of a dumpster fire, but that's not where I'm going. Okay. And year two is where you expect, you know, an improvement lots of times. I'm a big year two head coach guy. You know that. Mm-hmm. I think it might be Josh Heupel because – Oh, wow. I did not see this he coming. He may have gotten too good too early. And that's mm. kind of what happened to Dan Mullen, where Dan Mullen got well, – they went 10-3 and three year one, and he started talking shit to Kirby Smart in the spring game. And George, Florida fans like, oh, oh, it's on then. Like our coach is talking shit. Like it's time. Like we're we're ready to be the villain. Like let's let's go. And it's like, no, you weren't really ready. I feel like Dan Mullen kind of got Florida fans' expectations like – ahead of schedule where they should have been. It's like, you know, yeah, we're just trying to get better every year, whatever, coach speak. With with Heupel doing what he did and beating Alabama year two, obviously the loss in South Carolina brings people a little bit down to earth, but doing what he did year two, going 11-2, and two, I think there's an expectation that this is who we are now as Tennessee. Like, we're second to Georgia and absolutely nobody else. Like, yeah, we – we think we might could beat Georgia, but if we don't, we're second and no one else is is on our level. We're right there, just second in the East. And I think they're – I don't know if they've recruited necessarily well enough to just automatically assume like, yeah, our, our bad years are going to be 9-3 and three, and the good years we can be 11-1 and one or something like that. Like I think there's a chance that this was a spike year that Hinden Hooker was a generational talent, that Jalen Hyatt was a generational talent, that some that you can't replace some of that uh, some of that personnel offensively that was averaging that was the number one offense in college football. Like not just a really good offense, the number one offense in college football. Like there's a reason, there's a logical, like there's a rational reason to think you could that, that the offense won't be as good next year, right? Maybe they're top 10 nationally. Maybe they're scoring 41 points a game. But then they need to see a significant improvement on the defense if they're not going to be scoring 50 points every game. So I think uh, I think Heupel just – don't get me wrong. Heupel is in a great position, and, and Tennessee fans would have to love where their program is at right now and where the trajectory appears to be. But – the. It's just where the trajectory appears to be. You have to see what he continues to do. And he's definitely put the expectations as, you know, we're a college football playoff contender type of program now. I think it's too soon. I think it's too soon to say. I think for everyone here in Knoxville is like, this is kind of a gap year. I think people are kind of like, he's still recruiting uh, pretty well. Like they're a top 10 class this past year. I think they'll probably be at the top 10. It looks like maybe even a little bit better um, with the 2024 class. But I think they're just going to wait on Nico. Where do they finish in 2023? Like 10th, I think. 9, 10 or something? Yeah. So well, they're right there in the blue chip ratio. Looks like 9th, I think. Yeah. They bring in Rico. All right. They bring in Nico. I think that's where things get dicey. Like if Nico doesn't develop into a superstar and that is not like a Bryce Young type fine, then it's like, all right, because if this year is kind of like an eight and four type year and then they get through the Milton bump and then they go to Nico next year after a full year in the system and Nico in this group doesn't gel and they still don't get over the hump. and They're not really challenging for the East 
Um, but the East won't exist <laughs> at that point. Uh, but if they're not yeah. looking at 10 and two, 11 and one with Nico in either of those runs where they're not feeling like a contender, then it gets dicey. Like then it gets it, uncomfortable. I don't think Tennessee fans are going to start to panic or feel a type of way. It's also, they need to see this offense, not be elite. Like they were number one this past year in yeah. offense and they were top 10 the year before that. Until that happens, until the offense really starts regressing or teams really start figuring them out and they have to adjust more and it's like, hey, this way you got to evolve a little bit, Hypel, to like keep folks like believing that this is sustainable. I think fans are going to give them the benefit of the doubt and I just, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen this offense not be super explosive, top 10 and we saw the best version of it last year. I think we're still at least a year away from uh, probably two from any kind of real hot seat stuff. He just got a gigantic extension um, from Tennessee. So uh, for me, I don't, oh, yeah, I don't no think hot so. seat by any means, but it, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting position to be in, um, in terms of, cause Tennessee is not, this is why you want to be in everything. School, not Matt Green. South Carolina. They're not, Kentucky. this is why you want to be in everything school, because when you're good at basketball, you're flirting with the final four. When you have one of the best college baseball programs in the country, one of the best softball programs in the country, one of the best women's basketball programs in the country, one of the best rowing uh, teams in the country, one of the best track and field teams in the country. The list goes on that there's not as much pressure on the football program to make it that sustainable win-win-win model because everything's good. So They're pretty good fine. at everything. You know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's, good, uh, that's a good thing to have. But... That don't don't get it twisted. Football is always king, and they yeah, expect sure. they expect national title contention at Tennessee. And Heupel is getting them as close as they've been Since in a former. long damn time. So I mean, Butch Jones had his what pop up year where they were like at least interesting. But so Heupel is obviously in a good position. The Tennessee program is in a good position right now. But there is something such thing as being a victim of your own success. And I think, and it's not to compare everything Florida was doing at Dan Mullen to Heupel. It's just there there are some parallels there with both of them being, you know, just these offensive kind of mastermind type of coaches and also recruiting at a very similar level. Mm-hmm. I would also I'd probably say Florida had better talent when Dan Mullen got there than than Josh Heupel did uh, for Tennessee. But you know, there was the the ten win season year one, the eleven win season year two, and then the, the eight and four. But it's it was an improvement. The the COVID year makes the record look kind of funny. But the the year that they did win the SEC East in year three, so we had that like national trajectory, that natural trajectory, and then you had no idea that it was just it was falling apart by the end of that season, where every at the end of your breakthrough season, you know everything started to fall apart. So. The Florida thing could be a very, you know, unique situation with Dan Mullen's personality and who he was, you know, meshing with administration and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think Florida was recruiting at a level that wasn't sustainable to compete for the SEC for the SEC year in and year out. And that it kind of did Dan Mullen in. And so I think if Heupel, you know, can keep this going and it's you know, maybe next year is the bad year and you go nine and three or you go 10 and two and it, it feels disappointing, then maybe Tennessee has arrived at, at it, an SEC championship or bust type of level. But um, it, that, that's definitely where the expectation is. And, and we know Tennessee's got a, a rowdy fan base. So, it, you know, 
after uh, after that taste they got in 2022, they definitely want more. That's fair. And as they should, because like I said, there's no reason they can't be Clemson. And that's uh, that's where they want to be uh, football-wise. So we'll see. We'll see, Matt Green. The biggest difference also is Nico, Florida never got the five-star quarterback. I mean, yeah. I guess Emory Jones was a big-time recruit. He and, wasn't the number and, one overall player in yeah, the Andre Anthony Rankin, Richardson yeah. was like uh, whatever. They talked about him. But like Nico being, yeah, by by some someone's – ranking the number one overall player yeah, on three right? had him so, as number one overall player so yeah that's that's a guy who maybe maybe that's their deshaun watson and yeah. that's the guy that can elevate their program into to being a, a true uh national title contender Oof. that that just brings me joy nico just being a nightmare for the dog work real well for, for your clemson parallels too right there yeah hey i uh, that's just that's where i'm at matt green well, that's fun. Uh, that was a fun exercise. We can, uh, we'll, we'll hit the SEC West next. Um, I will be gone, like I said, at the top of the show uh, over the weekend uh, until Wednesday. So probably Wednesday night is when we'll probably uh, do the West is what I'm guessing. So we'll, we'll shoot for Wednesday night because I'll get back in Wednesday morning and all that. So um, look out for that. We'll do the West at that point and uh, keep it going uh, with all kinds of offseason content. There will probably be some other news to discuss before we dive into that and all that good stuff over the next week. Uh, who knows? There might be conference realignment uh, while I'm gone. We'll see. Um, until then, Matt Green, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.